Uh, so today we're continuing week two of our series uh, called Take Your Mountain. And this series is about, as we kind of covered last week, these seven mountains of influence. And, and if you're, just to refresh everybody, uh, the seven mountains are very simple. It's, there's a spiritual mountain or a religious mountain that influences culture. Uh, that there, there's a government mountain or military mountain that influences culture as well. There's a media and arts or media and entertainment mountain that uh, influences much of our culture. We also, uh, we have the science and technology mountain. We have an economic or business mountain. And we have an education mountain and we have a family mountain. So these seven mountains legitimately help frame and shape the culture that we live in. And for us to do something practical to shape and to change the culture, we have to have influence in these seven mountains to some degree or another. Now, not all of us are called to each and every mountain or sphere of influence or social group of influence. We're called to where God has gifted us. But we as a church, as a community, are called to influence these areas so that we can see long-term change in our culture, so that we can see long-term change here in our region, so that we can be we can be instruments of influence to see God's purpose and will established on planet earth. So we're going to start today with probably not a very familiar portion of scripture, uh, a prophetic book called Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Habakkuk chapter two. Now I'm going to give a little background information. Habakkuk is prophesying uh, primarily in his writings to Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. At that time, Israel, or God's people, had at one point had one kingdom. It had been divided up into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And in the southern kingdom, there were wars all around it. In fact, to the extent that the Babylonian army had just conquered, they had just conquered their neighbors in Assyria. Because Judah was rebelling against God, Habakkuk was saying they were about to be taken over by the Babylonians. They're going to be wiped out, taken over totally if they don't get back on track. Potentially, they're going to be dispersed and they're going to go into slavery and we'll, we'll get a little bit of insight of what happens there. But it says in chapter 2 that the Lord gave his people, gave them a hope-filled perspective and a wake-up call towards their destiny. So they see this warring army coming at them. They're divided from the kingdom where they were once one body. They were once one group of people. Now they're divided. Their army's cut in half. And they see trouble on the horizon. They hear the prophetic announcement that it's likely that trouble's gonna come at their doorstep. And as it's coming in Habakkuk chapter two and verse one, we read that Habakkuk says in a time of upheaval that they're to look up. Now I'm paraphrasing and shortening the verse a little bit. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump down to verse uh, 14 in Habakkuk chapter 2. And Habakkuk, this, from a prophetic insight, says that they're to see their present dilemma in God's light of his ultimate purpose. Again, I'm paraphrasing it. I was trying to speed things up this morning. If you have your Bibles, again, go ahead and jump down to verse 20. And he says, Habakkuk says, in an atmosphere of fear, of, uh, an atmosphere of fearful opinions, that's not easy to say fast, listen to God's voice. So we see three distinct markers in chapter two, even though he's prophesying their eventual and ultimate demise, he's saying, listen, listen, in a time of upheaval, in a time of war, in a time when things aren't gonna go the way you expect them to, in a time where you will likely be conquered, in a time where your enemies will advance, you need to learn to look up to God's purposes and plans. 
You need to look to him as your source. He says in verse 14, when you see a dilemma and it's real and it's in front of you, there's a real warring army coming at you. You need to see this in the light of God's purpose. And in an atmosphere of fearful opposition and opinions, listen to God's voice and not the fear that's spread around you. Why is this important? Because I think in our culture, the church sometimes finds itself just like the people of Judah. In a time of upheaval, upheaval where the culture that we're setting as the church norms, right? Sometimes they don't look like the culture we see outside the church. There are church norms that, that we expect to see in the church, like strong family units. We, we have a, maybe a very strong stance on marriage and what marriage is, traditional in its context. Maybe we have a strong stance on life and the preservation of life, and yet we see culture going totally haywire or going the other way. And just like Habakkuk was instructing those people, we are to look up and not look towards our present circumstances. We might see real dilemmas in our personal life, in the life of the church, or maybe it's Christianity moving forward, yet we're supposed to see that in the light of God's ultimate purpose. If you follow me on Facebook at all, you would have seen this week that I posted a stat, a stat that came out this week that is troublesome for me. And it's a stat that rehashes a stat from a few years ago that was troublesome then. A few years ago in 2015, the Barna Group announced that the Quad Cities is the 27th least churched cities in America. Well, we've gone up that ladder, not in a good way. They just came out with a new study that says we are the 15th most post-Christian community in America. Post-Christian. Christ is an afterthought. Church is an afterthought. The idea of religion is an afterthought. We are 15 on the list of 100 plus cities. That does not sit well with me. And when I read the, the words of Habakkuk and I see what God is saying to his people, he isn't saying that the times are tough and there's a drought and there are issues and there's warring armies coming. He's not saying all of this to say you are ultimately doomed. He's saying, look at my plan, look at my purpose. In an atmosphere where there's nothing but fear-filled opinions around you, learn to hear his voice. Because God still has a reason for the church of the Quad Cities. God still has a purpose for this church. God still has a purpose for this community. Just because stats are what they are doesn't mean they have to stay that way. And it means we have a job to do. In a very similar way, I believe God is giving this present day world, his people here today, a word, a present day word. A word that is for our purpose is to wake us up to our calling and our destiny. Because you have a purpose, you have a calling, you have a destiny in God. You have a right to take one of those seven mountains. And wherever God's put you, you have a right as a Christian believer to own that mountain, to own that sphere of influence. Lauren Cunningham of YWAM began to hear this idea. He began to meditate on this concept of these seven mountains or spheres of influence in 1975. And Bill Bright, later on from Campus Crusade, they, they, he heard the same message and the two came together and exchanged thoughts and ideas and they developed this, this concept that we're studying out over the next few weeks. This idea of influencing these seven mountain spheres or gates or whatever you want to call them. That we are here on planet Earth as Christian believers not to passively wait for Jesus to come back someday. 
We're not here just to passively wait and hope that when we die, we meet St. Peter and those big pearly gates open and we are ushered into heaven. You don't get saved to get your get out of hell free card. It's fun to know and it's, it's really comforting to know that when this life is over, I will find heaven as my home, that I am assured of my salvation here today. But that is not the total reason we are saved. If Jesus is Lord of your life, is there, if there's an, an attitude of his lordship in our life, it's for a purpose. And it's for a greater purpose than just finding our way to heaven someday. See, I believe that whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to a culture or to a nation, he starts to speak to multiple people. He usually speaks to more than one. And so when God began to move on the, on the heart of Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, it started to spiderweb out to the effect that this has become a, a literal movement, that there are people in Christian churches all over the United States who hear messages like this every single year, and they are taking their stand to actually do something to affect change in one of these mountains in their sphere of influence. In fact, that's why we developed or, or helped uh, bring to the church this idea of Destiny Finder so that you can come to a class, see how God equipped and wired you and take that wiring, take, take that, that molding that God has put in your life and apply it to an area of culture to see real change. Scott doesn't do those classes just because Scott likes meeting with a few people. Scott does those classes because he wants to see folks take charge, take their area of influence. And one of the best testimonies that's come out of Destiny Finders is his own wife and Susan. And she knew God had, had put on her heart to start developing this writing skill and, and writing a blog or some other format. She wasn't sure how to do it. And, and long story short, eventually, now she's writing for a magazine, that, or it's an online magazine, or a regular magazine. It's a regular It's a, yeah, a magazine. So she's starting to write for that, and those articles are going out to all those distribution, uh, distribution points. And so she has an opportunity in her writing to affect culture. Now listen, I, I, I read one, and I don't think I've read more than that, um, but I read one that she sent me. And it wasn't overt. It wasn't like, you know, standing on her soapbox, you need to get saved now. Hallelujah, bless God. And she's writing about flowers and, or uh, gardening and stuff like that. I, I don't really understand all that. I'm not, you know, really into that. I'm not a pothead in that sense, you know. Or, uh, bad joke, right? Pastor jokes are the worst. But I'm not really into that, so I don't understand all of that. But I read the article, and it's obvious she's got a passion and a purpose, and she's pursuing that. And she's creating, you know, a readership following and, and she has influence in the lives of these people. Now, the interesting part is, again, it wasn't standing on her soapbox and shouting Jesus, but there's definitely moments in the writing that are pointing to the idea that there's a creator. And for some people, that's a big deal. Just the idea that there is a creator, that you're not here by accident, that there's a purpose to everything that happens in life. You know, just because God calls you to affect one of these mountains doesn't mean he's calling you to scream, to shout, to culture, to say you're wrong, you sinful, dirty heathen, you need to get saved today. Now, sometimes that's our calling because it's the right moment in time to preach the gospel with that much vibrance, with that much direction. But other times, it's our opportunity to own our space so that when somebody has needs, they come to us. So that when someone has issues, they come to us. Man, if you're a businessman in every business transaction, it's not necessarily your, your, your right or reason to stand there and just preach, preach, preach Jesus. Sometimes you just need to make money. 
And if you're really good at making money, people will come to you and say, what's your secret? And there's nothing wrong with telling folks, my secret's real simple. I'm blessed of God. It's not even, it's not even in me to do this on my own. See, we forget that if we will put all of the focus on him when we're asked, if we will put all of the focus on Christ when we are asked, why are we so good at what we do? It will open doors that we couldn't open in our own. The Bible literally says that your gift will make room for you. That if you are gifted in something, there will be, there will be places that you can go. There will be doors that you can go through that nobody else can walk through because of your gifting. The parameters of our kingdom assignment are to go beyond influencing just the church or to go beyond influencing just these four walls. And we are to influence all of society. But there are three very distinct and important points I want to make today. And I'm going to go through some things. I don't have time to really get into all the scripture here. I wish I did, uh, but we're going to fly through some of it. But the influ our influence is not dominance. You know, we read scriptures and we hear how God gave us dominion. And sometimes we think that means dominating over another person. Listen, God, godly influence doesn't take away someone's free will. So if I'm influencing a culture, you know, Genesis tells us, hey, uh, God gave us dominion over everything on the earth, over everything creeps and crawls on the earth, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. We can read that directly in Genesis and we can take that the wrong way and think that means that we are to dominate other people's free will, to force them into a mold that we've carved out for them. And the church has done a good job of that for many years. We've told people, if you don't fit this mold, you, you can't be one of us. And the problem is we've lost our influence in forcing people to do right and to be right and to check off all the boxes. We've lost our influence because it looks like we don't really care for people. Godly influence doesn't take away free will. We're not called to force God's will upon people. Listen, I know the right things that Scripture says to do. You know, if someone walks through the door, and if this is you today, or if it has been you in your past, don't be under condemnation in this area. But if someone walks through the door today and they're a prostitute, it's not my job to tell a hooker to stop hooking. It's my job to show them Jesus. And when I show them Jesus, there should be something inside their heart that changes, that tells them that what I'm involved in isn't God's best for my life. And if I will pursue God's best, the change of behavior will follow. It's not my job just to put a check mark next to someone and tell them when you, when you fulfill all of these criteria, then you'll be accepted. No, that's dominating somebody. That's trying to force our will on someone. And let me, let me be very clear. It doesn't mean we don't have a standard. We have a very righteous and holy standard, but it's God's purpose to uphold that standard in the heart of the individual based on the Holy Spirit working in their life. Influence exposes people to God's heart and increases their access to the kingdom. If we are just trying to dominate folks, we, they will never see God's heart. And again, the church has done this for years. If we are just trying to dominate people and force them into a mold, they will never see the heart of God. And the kingdom won't be advanced. Their access to the kingdom won't be readily available. But we make people's access to the kingdom available as we influence their lives. The next point is influence awakens. The word awakening is, a, is, a, is an interesting word. We use it a lot in church and throughout church whole, uh, culture and history. 
We use the idea of the great awakenings. But then there's a historical context um, that is a renaissance. It's, and it's, a, it's an awakening. We know that there have been renaissance in culture, spe- specifically in Europe in the 14th century. And it continued to the 17th century. And the, the, the effects of the renaissance have been felt all throughout human history, even to today, where because of the renaissance and the, the purpose was this elevation of, of humanity and humanity even above God. We get this humanistic idea placing humans above God and at the center of the universe is humanity and not God himself. It's much like what's described in, in Israel in Judges chapter 17 and verse 16. And again, I don't have time to go through there. But it says that they were right in their own eyes, that God's people had gone away from him, made themselves the center and the focus. And because they made themselves the center and a focus, they became right in their own eyes. And it was actually among the worst moments in the history of Israel. Humanism is as old as the Garden of Eden, where people have put the focus on themselves and said that they exalt self above anything else. But true influence awakens, and it awakens a renaissance of who we are called to be. Not a renaissance of building self up, but a renaissance of putting Christ first and his purpose in our life. Put God at the center point of who we are. The problem is most of the world lives in a renaissance or an awakening. When they hear the word of an awakening, it's an epiphany of self. We even have presidential candidates go out and try to find themselves before they jump into the race. Listen, you don't have to find who you are. I can tell you who you are. You are broken. And in, your, in and of yourself, you don't have the merit to do anything of anything of worthy of any note at all. In and of ourselves, we are broken human persons. The renaissance, the awakening should be the Jesus inside of me that remakes me. The renaissance should be that I fall away from this lie this lie about who God is, that for some reason there's a distorted worldview that we hold to, that if we can fix ourselves, that somehow God will be pleased with us, and in fixing ourselves and pleasing God, then somehow we will earn merit to his table. Listen, there is nothing you can do in yourself to fix yourself. True influence has an awakening that allows people to see the real you. This is why I am so incredibly transparent up here, sometimes more transparent than I need to be. It's why I goof with my wife so many times when I give illustrations, because we are trying to be transparent. It's why I give you stories about my children, because we are trying to be transparent. It's why I tell you that we don't have a perfect marriage and we never will. It's why we tell you things like, I get frustrated, and I get frustrated a lot with my kids because I'm a normal dad who sometimes those kids push their buttons. Listen, all of that is said because there should be an awakening awakening in your heart that someone who was flawed, someone who was broken, someone who was not perfect still has access to God, still has access to his word, still has access to the throne, still has a right and a reason to stand before you and say, yes, God speaks and he speaks to me, and he'll speak to you. Listen, an awakening that should happen from our influence is that people see everyday, real, normal folks who are used of God. 
not superstars. Man, nothing we do is to build up a superstar. I don't care how good your gift is. If your gift is the only thing that motivates you in this church, I'd tell you to put it down, leave it alone. Listen, there are times where I've had to do that and it is not easy. Oh my goodness, it's hard. Where God impresses on you, you know you're gifted, you know you're talented, but you want it all for yourself and God says, no, it's not your time. It's not time. There are things that God has spoken to my heart and to my wife's heart and we have been praying about, we have been diligently serving God over and it's been 15 years and nothing's materialized. Yet God has spoken to our heart that it's going to happen. And if it were in myself, I'd be doing everything I could do to kick down doors, to knock down doors, to make it happen. But God said, wait, rely on me. In fact, I'll tell you what, when I first decided that I wanted to get involved in ministry, we felt called to serve for a time at a particular church in New Orleans. Some of you know the story. We, we served at Covenant Church uh, in New Orleans. But what you don't know is that leading up to that, I applied to that church to serve there three times. I applied online, called the pastor, bugged him, called the leadership, bugged them, whoever I could get a hold of, and said, I really believe God's calling us. And, they, and, and three times they said, no, not, not today. Not now. It's not the time. And I had to put that on a shelf, even though I knew what God was calling me to, to a sense that I went and served at a different church in Kentucky for three and a half years, because that door opened up and it was great training ground. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from New Orleans. Hey, aren't you that kid that bugged us three times? Yeah, I am. We think it might be time. And in two weeks, God made that transition. In two weeks, we didn't miss a paycheck. We didn't miss a beat. In two weeks, we packed up everything we had. We, we closed down an opportunity in, 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 in Louisville and moved to New Orleans because God was in the move and God was in the mix. When God moved us here, we knew he had put on our heart to start a church in the Quad Cities. And, and man, I'll tell you what, there were many fights. I said, it's not me and the devil is a liar because I don't want to go back there. I was leaving Pittsburgh a city with three sports teams. And you've heard me say that, three professional sports teams to an area where we have one halfway minor league baseball team and sometimes hockey team. It's not cool. But God was moving and he was moving on our heart and moving and moving in the life of Lori and I. And we knew for months what we were called to do. And we ran from it because it wasn't the right timing and we didn't feel it. I don't say all of these stories. I don't, I don't give you our heart so that you can someday look at me and go, wow, isn't he special? No, I am as broken, I am as scared as anyone in here. We have just as many problems as any one of you sitting there. Listen, at our house, just because I'm a pastor, doesn't mean the angels come and put the toilet paper roll on the empty toilet thing. I have to do it, and I forget. <laughs> I swear, people think angels like watch or babysit our kids. It doesn't happen that way. We do what everybody else does. No, we, we grease down the tub when they're little and leave them in there butt naked. And we come back and they slip around for about an hour and then they're all shiny and they can't get their, can't get their way out, you know. That's how we used to babysit our kids. No, I'm joking. We, we wouldn't do that. And don't do that. You'll get in a lot of trouble. That's an old hillbilly thing in Kentucky. But we honestly want you to understand that through our influence, that no matter where you're at, there should be an awakening, an awakening, an epiphany. Something in your heart should, that there should be a spark that fires. If God can use that idiot behind that microphone, 
God can use me. And I don't talk about myself negatively on, on uh, most of the time, and I wasn't really talking about myself negatively there. I know that some people don't like me, and that's cool. And I know that not everybody thinks I'm awesome, and that's okay, because I don't really care. I know I'm doing what God called me to do. And at some point, you need to jump into that vein and say, you know what? Whoever has whatever opinion, it doesn't matter. I know I'm doing what God called me to do. And I know I heard that pastor say one day that he'll use anybody. And if he can use anybody, he can use me. Point number three is that we are being poised to participate. We are being poised to participate in a revival, in a renaissance. Peter called it this. He said in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, he said, The time for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets has come. The time for God to restore everything that he's given, through, that he's prophesied through the holy prophets has come. He was thinking that when Jesus was finally manifest in his full promise and glory and the full understanding of who Christ was, that in that moment when that revelation would happen, that you and I would live in the fulfillment of all of the prophecies. All of those prophecies that God would rebuild and restore what was broken. All of those prophecies where he would grant us the prosperity that is the prosperity of God's people. That he would bring healing to a land or a healing to a person that is you. Every single promise of God. The notoriety, the prominence that you would have as a follower of Christ or the nation of Israel. That they were granted every one of those prophecies. Now Peter misspoke. He actually thought in his time frame that Jesus was going to fulfill these prophecies as a warring king and come and topple Rome. But in our lives, we understand that wasn't the message or the mission of Christ. That we know that he was actually called to come and topple and overturn the issues in our life. That anything that holds us back, any wall or barrier that holds us from being our true authentic selves, that we can overcome that barrier. So there's three things there. First, influence is not dominant. Second, we are influential for an awakening and we are being poised to participate in a revival, but it's a revival of self first. It happens in your own heart and then it spreads like wildfire. In the early church, if you would have seen how magnetic people were to the gospel, we would have seen folks that were almost like an infectious disease. People caught Christianity because they rubbed up next to other on-fire Christian believers who couldn't help themselves. And when someone asked or when the question was posed, what is different about you, they didn't hide and go, well, I go to a good church. They didn't hide and say, well, you know, I've tried to be a good person. They emphatically shouted, Jesus is the difference. The only thing that makes the difference is the message of Christ real and active and realized in our life. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, as we referenced earlier, it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I believe that in Acts, when Peter was saying the prophecies were fulfilled, these are the prophecies, these are the types of prophecies he was talking about, that there would be a day that the earth, the earth would know the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. What is that concept of glory? The word glory is simple. It, it literally means to make obvious or that something is tangible and has weight. 
That there would be a moment in time where the glory, the weight, the tangibility, the make-knownness of our God would cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. Listen, we understand what floodwaters are like. Right now, we're still under a flood downtown. Many of you saw the video from Rome, the restaurant downtown where their, their security cameras caught the Hesco barriers breaking and the water started rushing into the restaurant and covered over the parking lot. No one could stop it. No one could stop it. In fact, people were so in fear that they ran to their cars and drove off as quickly as they could for fear their cars would be submerged. You know, I didn't see one person with a funnel going, I'll fix it. I didn't see anyone stand up shouldering that Hesco barrier saying, man, we'll just push on it real hard and we'll figure it, we'll figure it out. What happened? Those waters were so strong, they literally overran the barrier. They literally overran the restaurant. They seeped into every nook and cranny up to four foot high in that restaurant, up to bar top height. They overran everything. We, when we take our mountain, this is who we are. We are that influential moving flood and wave that just overcomes and surrounds our opposition. You can't stand in the way because as Habakkuk said in, verse, or in chapter two and verse 14 that there is a day coming and I believe it's coming very soon because God is speaking not just to me in this manner but to other preachers all over the world, other ministers of the gospel. He is preaching the idea that when we will take our rightful stand that heaven will fall on earth. That when we will be responsible to the calling and to who we are and to how God has made us that heaven will literally cover this earth. The glory of God will cover us like the waters cover the sea. There's a quote here that I think is incredibly important. It says this, simply put, the invisible God will be made visible through the lives of his ambassador kids in every facet of society. I love that quote that there's an invisible God that people wonder if he's real. They wonder of, a, of his tangibility. Can I touch him? Can I feel him? They wonder if the stories they have heard are just myths or is there really a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them? Is there really a God in heaven who wants anything for them? And the fact is that he will be made visible through our lives his ambassador children. I love that idea, ambassador kids. We're not just representatives of a government. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, but we are first his children. By the way, if you've ever wondered, God doesn't have any adults. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you are an adult of God. You finally made it, grown up, matured. You are his children. He expects you to come to him like children. He expects you to reconcile with him like children. He expects you to fall like children, but he's a good dad who will offer a hand and pick you up. And in that sense, we are ambassadors to this gospel we are those who preach and proclaim the gospel every day with our lives, not just with our mouth, not just with our do's and don'ts, not just with our rules and regulations, but we preach the gospel with our heart, with our lives, with our influence. Let me explain something about the seven mountain mandate. There is a spiritual mountain because he is a God who saves and restores Listen, there isn't a religious mountain just because God likes churches and pews and steeples. It's there because the church is the arm and the instrument to come and save and restore culture. People walk through this door, they accept Jesus. 
Again, it's not simply a get out of hell free card. It's an opportunity for their life to be restored and put back to its original intent. There's a government mountain and there's a, there's a military mountain because he is a God who reigns in justice and mercy. Our government is to be a government that is just and merciful and just as God is just. Listen, God is not a punitive God. If he were punitive, he would have left you to your sin and you would die and wallow in it. He is a restorative God. He wants to restore you back to your original intention. Our justice system, our justice nature in our culture should be one of restoration, bringing people back to who they were created to be. The government that we, that we live under and serve under, I believe and I hope it's not perfect. But if we as Christians are to maintain areas of influence, we can cause God's justice to be infected in our government and we can cause God's mercy to be released in our government. There's a media and an arts mountain because God, because he is a God who expresses and communicates. Listen, the arts, all of the art forms, whether it's music or painting or dance, they're all there because God wants to express and communicate to his people. There's not a, there's, it, it, it's not a, a wondering matter of why we are creative individuals. We are creative because that's how God communicates. Look at a duck-billed platypus. That was creative. <laughs> Anybody think that's just weird? There are all kinds of weird things out there that God used to create, to tell a story of who he is. And in the same way, we have the arts and entertainment and media to help create and fashion who God is. There is a family mountain because our God is an everlasting father, because he draws us to him as father God. We have a family mountain because there are men who should take their rightful place in their families and be the dad they were called to be. We have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our culture. We have an epidemic where the family unit is starting to decay and, and, and to break down. And man, if you're in that station and something's happened in your marriage or your past, don't get under condemnation. Understand that if you run to the father, he will teach you how to be a father. And if you run to the father and you need a father for your kids, he will be that father for them. And he will put other men in their life to show them how to be a man, to show them how to be a dad, to show them what it's like to live with a godly father influence. Listen, in my mom's life, this was very true. We started going to a church here locally when we were very, very young. My mom grew up without her dad really in the picture like he should be. And she grew up a Catholic. And I remember as a young kid, the pastor of the church we were attending, Foursquare Church in Moline, he said, my mom came up to him and, and she would always call him Father, Father Hollis, Father Hollis. At one point he said, honey, I'm Pastor Hollis, but thank you, I would love to have been your daddy. I'd love to have been your father. I'll tell you what, even to today, that almost makes you want to cry. When you know people's story and you know the things they've walked through and that the church can be that impasse, the church can be that place that fixes the gap, that can bring family together. And my mom and dad experienced real family in that church. That's why they stayed. In fact, to the point that at one point they, 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 they felt their family growing beyond that church and it was an okay thing, it was a good thing. Sometimes people move on from different churches. To the point that when she met that family, that pastoral family, they would always tell her, this is still your church. 
They weren't upset with her. They weren't pushing her off. They weren't saying you shouldn't have gone to another church. They were saying, listen, you'll always be family here. That's the truth of the matter because we are of the family of God. That's why there's a family mountain. How? So that we have a responsibility, even in an economic sense, that God will give us the ability to gain wealth, to literally increase in a wealth stance. Why? Because he gave a covenant to your forefathers and he's going to establish his covenant. That's why there's an economic model. That's why there's a business mountain. There's an education mountain because he is a God who instructs. He is a God who is wisdom. He is the embodiment of wisdom. And when I say he is a God who instructs, I mean he gives wisdom, not tells you facts and formulas. We have enough of that, yet we have such a broken school system. At times, there's no wisdom being passed on from one generation to the next. He is a God who is intent on instructing through wisdom. Psalms chapter 46 and verse 1 says he is ever-present. The idea there isn't, in the Hebrew, isn't just that he's always around, but it's the concept that he is overwhelmingly evident We serve a God that if we will allow him to be that influence in our life and whatever mountain we find ourselves on, whatever area of influence we find ourselves influencing, that he will be overwhelmingly evident. That if we'll allow him to preach through our lives, he will speak loudly and boldly and strongly. The knowledge of God and his glory It looks like, in a government sense, that a government is wise and ethical. When we understand that we are instruments of the knowledge of God, of His glory, that He is ever-present, that He is overwhelmingly evident in in an educational sense, that we start to increase perspective and discerning for students. In a family sense, it releases power to produce children into society who are, who are actually building up our culture. In the sense of the arts, it's a joy-filled celebration of life. In the idea of our economy, it experiences supernatural provision because we listen to where God is divinely driving our economy. And in the idea of a church, it flows in power and love and it makes his presence real and known. When we understand that we are called to affect one of these seven mountains, that when we are called, and man, you might say, well, I'm just, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. How does that affect culture? It affects culture in a big way. You are raising those kids. You are giving them purpose. You are giving them destiny. You are shaping and molding their character. And in doing that, you are setting up the next generation. I don't care where you find yourself. You can find yourself living in one of these areas And in living in any one of these mountains, you have a responsibility to express the Holy Spirit through you. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly every day. But if you'll allow him to give you influence, you can see your area of influence change drastically. I got to get done. I didn't realize I was so late. I think a lot of people believe that he is currently, that God is currently distant, that he's invisible, and that he's uninvolved. And I think most of the time that's because that's how his people have portrayed him. Too often the church has been distant, uninvolved, practically invisible. Real issues of life happen. We don't know what to do. 
Real conversations and debates are, being, are, are, are taking place in a cultural landscape and we don't speak to them because we're afraid to offend somebody. I believe that we have to take our stand, not just me as the pastor, but you as the church and congregation, that we should speak to where culture really, truly, honestly is and infect the gospel in that area. Listen, you might disagree with each other on, on certain political points of view. You might disagree with each other on certain philosophical points of view. Guess what? You'll disagree here and you probably won't reconcile it. And you might even disagree in heaven. The Bible's not going to kick one of you out because you disagreed. Or, or Jesus is going to kick one of you out because you disagreed. The fact is that we know we will have variances in how we look at the scriptures and how we approach life and how we philosophically approach the world. That's okay. You know, my wife and I don't agree on everything. And there's one thing that I've learned about being a Christian is that we don't have to be twins to be brothers. So often the church has carved out a mold and said, you have to look like me and act like me and, look, and have the same belief system that I have, a uh, political system that I have. And, and if you don't, then you're not a Christian. Or you're not our type of Christian. I don't have to be twins to be brothers with any of you. We can disagree on a whole load of things and still have community and still be connected and still love one another. Influence comes by walking through doorways of opportunity and risk. If we are going to influence our culture, we have to risk it at times. We have to risk the option, the moment. There's an old, uh, uh, some of you might remember him, kind of lounge singer. His name was Billy Vera. Put out some, some tunes under Billy Vera and the Beaters. And there's an old live album that he has where between one of the songs, he makes this statement. That in order for us to really know love, to know true love, we have to risk total annihilation. And in his musings, he says that it was worth it. And he uses the words, and, and I'm not trying to, to do anything uncharacteristic of the Bible, but he says, I swear to God it was worth it. I think for some of us, we put one toe in the water when we are called to love our community, to love our neighbor, to love those around us. We put one toe in the water because we're afraid to risk, to risk total annihilation. The fact is, if we will put our whole self in, it will be worth it. He also says in his musings that there are times when you will be annihilated, where you will be blown up, where it will not go your way. But it's worth it when it does. The problem with the church is we've stopped investing in people to the extent that we are willing to be annihilated for the cause of the gospel. We put one toe in and think, well, that's enough influence. Hopefully nobody hurts me this time because many of us have been hurt over and over and over and over. And I am honest to God, I share in your pain where we have been hurt by the church, we've been hurt by religious institutions, we've been hurt by someone. I share in your pain, it happens. But that moment you hit that home run, that moment you connect, that moment that you get in full on with someone and you see their life change from where they were to where God will bring them, trust me, it is worth it. So I want to encourage you today as we march up our seven mountains, as we learn to take our mountain, get wholly involved in wherever God's calling you to. I don't care what it is. Man, arts, science, music, entertainment, I don't care what it looks like. Pour yourself into it. Pour everything that you have into it. Every spare moment that you, that you can give, pour it into it. It might not be your day job. 
as we learned last week. It might not be your day job where God is calling you to influence, although it might be. Wherever he's calling you to influence, give it over to him. Because when you risk that moment of total annihilation and you watch God do the impossible and change lives through your effort and your life is changed in the process, it will be totally, totally worth it.